1: This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Transporter, your own personal cloud-type storage device thing. If you've used Dropbox, you've got an idea of what the Transporter is and does. It lets you store and share files without having them take up a ton of space on your computer. Okay, you've got Dropbox. Why do you care? Well, there are a few reasons that you might. First, with Transporter, your digital info is not stored on some third-party's servers. It's stored on a device that you own and control. That way, you know that only you and the people with whom you share have access to your information. The second reason to give Transporter a look is the price. 100 gigabytes of storage on Dropbox currently runs customers $99 a year. Stop paying that and there goes your storage. Why do that? With the transporter, you choose the size that's right for you. 500 gigabytes, 1 terabyte, or 2 terabytes. You pay once, and that's it. Then you've got access to your files whenever and wherever you have an online connection, just like you would with less personal cloud services. Plus, they have apps for portable devices, too. And that really just scratches the surface of what a transporter can do for you. Find out more at filetransporter.com. Or if you get there soon, they're giving away a couple of transporters at filetransporter.com slash mission log. Use it as a backup. Use it as an off-site backup. Use it to store sensitive info, or use it to share pictures with friends and family. Find out more at filetransporter.com and enter to win one at filetransporter.com slash mission log. Transporter. Storage and sharing made simple and secure and a big thanks to them for sponsoring this week's show. Mission
2: Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, episode 98, The Naked Now.
1: Well okay. <clears throat> Welcome. Okay. Hello from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion, Ken. Ken,
0: please, please tell me you're not going to do the drunk act all the way through this episode.
1: No, John, I am not going to act drunk all the way through the episode, because acting drunk is hard to do. Being drunk, much easier.
0: And I guess that sums up today's show. <laughs> <laughs> today, today we are doing The Naked Now. Not to be confused with The Naked Time from the original series. please. Please do not confuse those two shows.
1: It would be difficult to confuse those two shows. Yes, <laughs> well, different well. actors, that's all I'm saying, different actors, oh, okay. different okay. set. I don't I don't know what you were thinking. Well, our uh, our listeners may have different ideas,
0: so uh, if they do, as always, they can get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. There are a plethora of ways to do that: Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, and all three of those locations our handle is commonly Mission Log Pod, that's Mission Log P O D, or you can call us 323-522-5641. You can email us, MissionLog, at com, And we have a really, really nice home on the internet, MissionLogPodcast.com, as well as com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
1: You know, it's exciting when you come across an episode that is, that is so completely new, that is so completely different, that is so completely unlike anything you've ever seen before. The wealth of trivia tied to such a thing Uh, must be stellar john champion won't you please present trivia to us
0: can you you got your hopes up and then everybody in the audience's hopes up about the the wealth of different new and different trivia with this new and different episode well i have just a few tidbits to share before we get into the story um Today's episode, The Naked Now, uh, the story is credited to John D. F. Black, who we remember was a producer on the original series, and to J. Michael Bingham. Wait, that—that's kind of a weird name. Do you do you have any any idea, any guess who J. Michael Bingham might be, Ken? Was he the uh,
1: publisher of the Daily Bugle?
0: <laughs> so close, so close is actually a pseudonym for d c Fontana
1: oh okay yeah
0: yeah yeah she she's got another one to add into the list, along with Michael Richards, who is not the Michael Richards that you're thinking of, but yeah uh that is d c Fontana, so we do have original. Star Trek writers who wrote this new Star Trek episode for the next generation. And, uh, and yeah, this is considered uh, by them and uh, by Gene Roddenberry and by Bob Justman as an homage to the naked time. And yes, by saying that I'm saying that everyone at the time was aware of the similarities. Um, Gene thought that it was a good way to introduce more complexity to the characters in shorthand. We've only gotten to know these characters in one Feature length episode, Encounter at Farpoint, as we reviewed last week. And in order to sort of fast forward through a lot of information about these characters, this is the shorthand intended to do that. <laughs>
1: you want to get to know somebody, get them
0: drunk. <laughs> right. Well, we, we may have some discussion about that in our uh, in our further discussion in today's show. Yeah. Um, so another little thing used from previous Star Trek here, the uh, the other ship that uh, we get to know in the story, the USS Tsiolkovsky, uh, is actually a reuse of the model of the USS Grissom from Star Trek Three, as we know it met an unfortunate end. But here, fortunately, we get to reuse that model and uh, see that ship again. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I like to point out every now and then if we have an interesting name of a ship, where did that come from? Well... Konstantin Silkovsky was a Russian rocket scientist. So, this seems like a very appropriate name for that ship. And by the way, the dedication plaque, uh, which is barely seen in there, actually is uh, in the Cyrillic. <laughs> so, I thought that was kind of neat. Although, um, apparently, and uh, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong here, apparently, uh, there is reference to the USSR. On that plaque, uh, which would not have certainly existed by then because, well, it doesn't exist now. We do want to mention Sarah McDougall, the chief engineer, in this episode. Please, please can. Don't get used to her. Uh, She was played by Brooke Bundy, and uh, this was Brooke Bundy's and therefore Sarah McDougall's only appearance in Star Trek. But the, uh, the actor, Brooke Bundy, did appear with a few other Star Trek alumni. She appeared with Walter Koenig in an episode of Gidget, and she appeared in Mission Impossible alongside Leonard Nimoy.
1: It really is too bad, too, that she doesn't make it past this episode. Although, of course, if she had not been gone in episode two, we wouldn't have had from, you know, episode three on uh, Chief Engineer Shimoda.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: With a name like The Naked Now, it sounds a bit like Star Trek. After Dark, if you know what I mean, if you don't know what I mean. It sounds like Star Trek. Grown-up time. If you know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean. Well, when an android and a security chief really, really like each other, they may find themselves in interesting situations. Same goes for a-
1: Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to meet the science vessel SS Silkovsky. It's watching the collapse of a star into another kind of star, but that's not why the Enterprise is on the way. The Silkovsky has been sending some crazy messages, including the last one that starts with what sounds like people having a wild party and ending with the bridge blowing the escape hatch. Riker, Data, Yar, and LaForge beam over. It looks like the Silkovsky crew was having a wild party, except for all the people frozen to death in various places. One falls out of a shower and topples over onto Geordi as he's looking around. Ah, well, that probably won't matter, except for the ick factor... Riker calls over and confirms the worst for Picard. All 80 members of the Tsiolkovsky crew are dead. Act 1. Dr. Crusher can find nothing in the medical records of the Tsiolkovsky indicating any illness. They decide to go ahead and beam the away team back, but set the transporter to maximum decontamination and keep a close eye on all of them. LaForge is sweaty and surly during his examination, and Crusher decides to keep him in sickbay for observation. That'll be good. Until she turns her back. Jordy takes off his communicator and wanders away. She calls security, and they are on the lookout. The whole thing reminds Riker of... Oh, something. An episode of The Twilight Zone, maybe? Maybe an episode of Lost in Space? He has Data searching and scouring the records of... Well, everything. He remembers something about someone taking a shower in their clothes. It's not much to go on, but Data will get on it. While security cannot find Jordy, the camera crew can. He's hanging out with whiz kid Wesley Crusher, who's showing off a handheld tractor beam he built and a voice synthesizer that he's rigged to sound like Captain Picard. Sometimes he pretends the captain is saying nice things to him or something. Jordy is impressed, but he's also wicked hot. Not long after an appreciative pat on the backslash neck for Wesley, Jordy wanders out of the Crusher's quarters. Security Chief Yar finally finds LaForge. He's looking out a window, bemoaning the fact that while he can see in many spectrums, he cannot see the way regular people do. And that makes him sad. Tasha says they'll talk about it, but right now, why don't they go to sickbay? He agrees. She takes him by the hand to lead him as we go to break. Act 2. Yar reports on the Forge's melancholy to Captain Picard. He quizzes the doctor. Are you sure this isn't a disease? She says it is not. It's more like insanity or severe emotional upset. The empath, Troy, is getting nothing off Geordi except confusion. It's like he's drunk. Crusher says it can't be that, though, since medical tests would have shown the presence of any foreign substance. On the bridge, Data is looking for someone taking a shower in their clothes. In the records. A short chat between Data and Riker jogs Riker's memory. Of course! It was an episode of Star Trek that had someone showering in their clothes. Ironically called The Naked Time. And leave it to Riker to remember an episode with the word naked in the title. Actually, Riker was reading about all of the past missions of all of the ships ever named Enterprise, and what do you know, something very similar to this happened to the Enterprise commanded by James T. Kirk. They were monitoring a planet that was breaking up rather than a collapsing star, though both events saw huge shifts in gravity, according to the records. The weird sort of intoxication effects were very similar, though. All they have to do now is recreate the cure made by the earlier Enterprise, and they'll be in ship shape with half an episode left to talk about what a close call that was. This probably isn't going to work, is it? In her quarters, Troy finds all of her clothing strewn everywhere. That's because a seemingly drunk Tasha Yar is trying all of her clothing on. She looks for something less security-minded, more sexy. Troy is really sexy off-duty. Can she help Yar? Troy suggests that Tasha may have something wrong. Tasha thanks her for her trouble, hands her back her clothing, making totally accidental skin-to-skin contact, and leaves. Troy informs the captain that Yar is now affected. And soon, Yar's walking around the ship, making out with everybody, thus affecting them. In sick bay, Wesley is showing Dr. Crusher how much better his tractor beam is than it was. When Beverly tells Wes that she'd like him to go to their quarters and stay there, he acts obnoxious, but agrees like he's been drinking or something. Picard's starting to worry about being so close to the collapsing star, though data says they'll be able to get away no problem. They need to stay for at least a while longer to download the Solkovsky's science info. In engineering, both the chief and second-in-command are called to different parts of the ship by Captain Picard, but it's not Picard. It's Wesley Crusher using his Captain Picard voice synthesizer. With the grown-ups away, he turns his tractor beam into a repulsor beam and seals himself into engineering... Then he uses the Captain Picard voice synthesizer to have Picard announce that control of the Enterprise has been turned over to Acting Captain Wesley Crusher. Act 3. Nearly the whole ship is drunk, including a very flirtatious security chief, Yar. Picard sends Data to Fetcher. It turns out that Data is not immune to some of the sorts of things that affect humans. For example, Yar is... Well, she's wearing this... Um... Okay, remember how amorous she was feeling earlier? Yeah, could she and, um... Could she and Data? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, they could. Down in engineering, Riker and the chief engineer are trying to get Wesley out of engineering. Troy comes in to... distract... Riker. Bill Riker. He takes her to Bay where Dr. Crusher has completed the intoxicant's counteragent. Surprise, surprise, it does not work and everybody's getting more drunk. Dr. Crusher has figured out whatever it is is passed by touch, but Riker touched Troy, then he touched her. The doctor wants to quarantine Riker, but he has to keep working, or they will all die. Act 4. Picard tries reasoning with the drunk Wesley Crusher. No good, though. Wes will go ahead and do what the captain wants. Well, part of it. He'll lock a tractor beam onto Tsiolkovsky, not release control of the Enterprise. Things are getting more perilous, though. The star the Tsiolkovsky was studying is about to collapse. Like right now. And when it does, it'll kick off stellar matter. If that hits the Enterprise, no more Enterprise. Almost everyone is working drunk at this point. Dr. Crusher, Riker, even Data. He's more human than people realize. The captain is soon affected. He's hot for Crusher, she's hot for him, but they have to power through. The engineering chief and Lieutenant Worf appear to be the only crew members not affected, though Riker's playing through pretty well. The chief engineer is finally able to kill Crusher's repulsor beam, and now they have another issue. A drunk engineer, Shimoda, has pulled out all of the ship's control chips for an impromptu game of Jenga. They'll need to be back in in 14 minutes, or the ship's a goner. Act 5. The only one fast enough to get all the chips back in in time is Data. He gets to work, though he says even he will not have enough time. If only he had another minute. A drunken Wesley realizes he can modify the Enterprise tractor beam to be a repulsor beam, just like he did with the miniature. He pushes the Silkovsky into the stellar material approaching the Enterprise, pushing the Enterprise backwards, buying the ship the extra time Data needed. He finishes replacing the chips, and they get out of the Starstuff's way just in time. Also, a drunk Dr. Crusher has found the actual cure to the intoxicant. The day is saved. Tasha tells Data that what happened between them never happened between them. The end.
0: Uh, By the way, nice reference to uh, Van Halen. Was there one? Yeah, yeah, Picard. Got it bad, got it bad, got it bad. He's hot for Crusher. Oh, interesting. You know, I actually should have
1: done, uh, I probably should have done hot for Tasha. (laughs)
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, that would that would be that good would too. Better. Yeah,
1: this, that was a total accidental. See, I, I have now infected your mind. You you heard a musical reference where there was none.
0: I just I only hear lyrics now whenever I'm
1: talking to you. You hear singing. Yeah. And there's no one there's there. There's no one
0: there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we're only two episodes in. Yeah. And it seems to me that data, even before he is infected. It seems that he's kind of emotional anyway. And, you know, it it made me think that it is interesting that he would be programmed with human like reactions, even if we don't chalk them up to emotion at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And and also very interesting that he would be uh, fully functional (laughs) because then I thought, well, what really is the point of that? You know why, why would you, of all the things that you're making in an Android, okay, maybe you want it to have some kind of emotional response because you want people to interact with it mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe get just on the other side of that uncanny valley, uh, but his being fully functional, way, way uncanny – Way uncanny,
1: well, I mean here's the thing. we know from the first episode that he wants to be more human. I mean, Riker you know jokingly referred to him as Pinocchio at one point. Mm-hmm. What we mm-hmm. don't know is whether this is something that's been programmed into him or if this is just something because of his you know really incredibly cool robotic brain um that he's now walking around realizing as far as everybody else that he encounters, there's something missing, and so he wants to be more like that um the The fully functional aspect would make one wonder whether that you know the mystery person who made data was actually trying to make him not necessarily a replacement for humans but equal to humans in every way we don't know yet though and mm-hmm. on, and honestly, I don't remember it's been so long since we did those episodes or since I watched those episodes, I don't remember now, so it'll be kind of interesting to to find out but in the meantime, what I don't remember is when exactly he got touched by anyone. To yeah, be affected right. because he shows up in Tasha's quarters and she's like, I'm good to go. And he's like, oh, well, you know what? So am I. And I don't think she actually touched him at that point. I think it's just sort of no, like, it, We may it, have learned more about data than we did anybody else in this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. It is interesting. <laughs> they, they, they well, I mean, they start the touching very soon after. Yeah, but, uh, maybe maybe curiosity is just data's overriding. Uh, program,
1: well, Or maybe that. he's a lightweight, although not nearly the lightweight that Shimoda is, because can we talk about his poor <laughs> uh, oh. decision making skills, right? Ugh, he. Yeah. So so Wesley goes into engineer while well, he plays his little voice synthesizer thing and, you know, calls chief engineer. What's her name away? Yeah, and MacDougall. then McDougall. Yeah. Well, sure if you say so. I'll I'll try to remember I'll tell you what. If she sticks around, then I'll bother remembering her name. Okay, <laughs> okay there you go. Um so he calls Chief Engineer What's her name away, and then uh-huh. he also calls um second in command in engineering uh, Shimoda away, and why I remember his name, he was actually sort of a more important part of the episode, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Calls Shimoda away as well, and Shimoda, who I don't even remember if Wesley has shaken hands with him or anything yet wesley comes in and he's like so i heard you and the other engineers got called away and shimoda's like yeah but then there won't be anybody here and wesley's like hey i'm a kid leave me in charge of engineering <laughs> right and shimoda's like well that's a good idea wesley yes if anything goes i'm not even gonna instruct you look how smart you are i'm just gonna uh-huh. you know good idea wes bye and then yeah. uh i know he did touch him somewhere along the way because when shimoda comes back he is decidedly drunk Or decidedly intoxicated or decidedly affected, Um, not not just sort of the poor decision-making skills he had shown earlier of, you know, leaving a kid who's not even an ensign at that point. Uh, He's not even part of the intern program at that point. He's just a kid on the Enterprise, leaving him in charge. A smart kid. But yeah, we'll just just leave him in charge because it's only a starship. What could go wrong? I'm sorry. (laughs) It's only a starship orbiting a decaying sun. (laughs) What could go wrong?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So I understand letting Wesley off pretty easily at the end because, you know, he was under the influence and he did technically save the ship. But Shimoda, Shimoda should, I i, I don't even know if a, a court martial is right, but just send him back to Earth. It, the guy has no business being on a starship.
1: Well, should we also talk about the fact that Wesley is building something that will imitate the captain?
0: I really worry about that. Yeah. Because build, building a tractor beam is cool. Like if you're doing a science that's, project that's and you can neat. build a tractor beam, yeah. you do that. Yes. Okay, uh, but the voice replicator. Like, I like to pretend in my mind that the captain is
1: giving me orders. Yes. Well, all p- right. Well, pretending state. in your mind is even okay, but well, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. pushing a button that sounds exactly like it. I mean, and you know, we've all had toys that talk. Heck, I right now have a Darth Vader mask that will say six different things mm-hmm. in the Darth Vader voice. Mm-hmm. I don't live in the Star Wars universe. I am not imitating, you know, Commander Vader at that point. I would think if, if, <laughs> if you know, one of Vader's underlings saw me doing that, he'd be like, dude, seriously, that's probably not cool. We're a military yeah. organization. There's a chain of command, and, and, and you're making it, you're like one step closer to taking over at that point. So Wesley shows that to Jordy while Jordy is drunk, but Wesley doesn't know that Jordy is drunk. So he's just showing him, look, I have this really cool voice synthesizer that sounds exactly like the captain. Yeah. Had Jordy been sober,
0: yeah, <laughs> put that thing away. Would Geordi have either
1: told somebody or said to West, "Dude, that is really... I mean, yeah, points to you for you know recreating synthesizer technology of the mid nineteen eighties, but points <laughs> off
0: <laughs> right. uh,
1: for for you know for for that, and maybe don't tell anybody. In fact, why don't you give me that? Yeah, and then and then when I go insane, I'll take over the Enterprise.
0: Right, exactly. See, you got it all worked out. Yeah, that's totally. good. That's yeah. good. Um, it, by the way, speaking of you know the, the little things that we see as people lose control, but here's a big one. Before they lose control, Diana Troy has already decided she doesn't need a uniform. She she doesn't need to be to be locked into the uh, the tyranny of Starfleet uniforms. She's going to wear her own thing.
1: <laughs>
2: um,
0: I'm not as so, big a fan
1: of the jumpsuit as I am the blue dress.
0: Yeah, well, she she had the blue uh, the blue
1: mini dress. Uh, no, the, that's not uh, the almost... one. I mean, I, this I remember from future episodes. Yeah, I, I was a fan right. of the of the mid calf. Uh, you know, the blue dress. Right, right. Well,
0: th- things changed things changed so yeah uh, we've seen the last of deanna in uh, in the classic tos style and, and it is kind of interesting that it, it does in a way separate her from the others and you go well what, what is this is she a civilian is she why why is she there right. um but yeah um uh, ken if you remember one thing from starfleet so in a couple hundred years, we're all going to the Academy. Uh, remember, please, that it is highly unusual for people to take showers of their clothes. Yeah, uh, because they, they remembered this in the original series and they remembered it now uh, referencing the original series. Uh, pretty sure if you Google showering in clothes, you will find a lot more than Star Trek. Uh, so Data had a long, long task ahead of him.
1: Yeah, you so would, well done. You would think so. Uh, there is—it's uh, not only a callback to the episode that they talk about the other episode. There's also uh, sort of a repeat of um, Riley. Is it Riley? I think, mm-hmm. I, think I was yeah. thinking O'Reilly, but it's Riley. Remember when Riley took over um, the Enterprise from? It, it, by the way. Really, we're, we're going to call this homage. We're going to call this an homage to that episode. I, yeah, because this I, is a rewrite of that episode. I mean, to yeah. the point that somebody who really has no business taking over the enterprise mm-hmm. from engineering takes over the enterprise from engineering. And one of his first edicts in both episodes is ice cream for everybody. Except when it's Wesley, it's, um, it's a dessert course both before and after every meal. Right. Uh, including breakfast. Yeah. This is, yeah, this yeah. is like a straight lift.
0: Yeah, you know, even as a 15-year-old kid, I had better taste than that.
1: Well, I mean, and we're being told that he's a whiz kid. You know, we're being yeah, told right, that he's right. a genius. There's not a genius out there. There are plenty of geniuses who would want dessert every time. <laughs> but even drunk, I think there are a lot of geniuses who would be like, yeah, you know, six desserts a day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just, just might be
1: excessive. It. Yeah. Might be just a tiny bit excessive.
0: Right, right. um speaking of people not necessarily uh knowing the right jargon or the right, right lingo or having you know bad ideas beverly says that it looks like geordie is running a temperature uh i certainly hope that he has a temperature now whether or not he is feverish <laughs> oh, uh, would be uh, another thing wow wow right. really dude yeah it's one of those things that drives me crazy okay yeah. uh, all right. right so i share it with you and the rest of our audience yeah um Although, in that very scene, uh, the, the real reason that I brought it up, uh, yes. Picard says that Geordi uh, said that he had a sudden yearning for normal sight, and he's never wanted that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just remembering to Farpoint, he, he basically ind- indicated, basically said, you know, the visor is a huge pain. And he says, I don't see like other people. Um and I, I, I sort of inferred from that scene and the other discussion in Farpoint that he would want to see like other people. He sees more. Yes, mm-hmm. we get that. And it comes in very handy when they're on uh, uh, on Farpoint and then in the alien vessel that is the the mate to that station. Um, but, I, you know, I, I thought we were just sort of digging deeper at what we have already revealed about him and it's, it doesn't seem so out of the ordinary that, that he would want that
1: it doesn't seem terribly out of the ordinary that he might want that but i didn't get the sense i mean first of all as long as you're going to do the whole thing running a temperature versus running a fever thing <laughs> he didn't <laughs> say the visor was a pain he said the visor caused him pain
2: and, yeah, that, and that's yeah. a
1: big difference i mean the visor does allow him to see in fact every time crusher suggests something that would alleviate the pain he's like yeah but that would stop the visor from working so that's a non-starter. I mean, in fantasy time, he might want to be able to see like everybody else, but that didn't even cross my mind an encounter at Farpoint because he was never in fantasy time there. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is his choices are live with the visor and the pain that the visor causes or be blind, entirely blind. Yeah. Now, it's not surprising that once he gets a little, you know, once he gets in his cups a bit, that he might say, oh, it'd be nice to be able to see. You know, but I, I didn't I didn't get the sense that this was something that he was dwelling on beforehand. It, it okay. is kind of weird okay. to me that he would never have, you know, it's not even weird to me that he wouldn't have mentioned it ever. It's weird to me that Picard would know that he had never mentioned it ever. Like, is, is he right. that familiar with everybody's records that he's able to Right, that He's able to say, well, he's never, ever, once, ever talked about wanting to be able to see like regular people see.
0: that is a little weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. it struck me as weird, too.
0: Hey, and uh, if we learned uh, another little bit of science from this show, is, is that Ken? Don't get too close to a star because big rock-like chunks of that star will come hurtling at you if mm-hmm. it's uh, if it's about to collapse or or explode or yeah, uh, either.
1: Sure. Yeah, I got yeah. no problem with that. Did, did, I, I assume from what you're saying, it's wrong. I don't know. Okay. As a, for,
0: for, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an astrophysicist, yeah. but I, I, I'm pretty sure that stars are not made of rocks.
1: Well, except they, didn't they say like stellar matter or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, okay. it's one of those pseudoscience terms, right? Sure. I mean, it, it may actually be a real term. I don't know. So I'm not going to call them on that. But I mean, it wasn't actually a rock. I mean, they kept using a sciencey enough term that you're like, okay.
0: I, I See, I, I, when, I, when I heard that term, I thought even they knew. And they were just like, well, we, we can't say it's a rock because there are no rocks. Uh, just uh, call it stellar matter. And wow. Just use a very vague term <laughs> like matter.
1: Okay. So based on some of the things that you picked out, I feel like I could go ahead and skip to the end and decide what you think of this episode.
0: No, no, no. Just, okay. just pointing out little details. All right, and that's, that's all. all just do, little do. details. Here's yeah. one. Since yeah, when is okay. Riker Bill? Uh, Since this episode and only this episode.
1: Good. You know, I (laughs) mean, because he's William Riker. He's William T. Riker, I believe, which is similar enough to, um, you know, James T. Kirk. I mean, so but then calling him Mm -hmm. Bill, I mean, that just reminded me of Shatner too much. and It was just kind of weird. And it's sort of like I understand familiarity. I know they have this, you know, this connection that we we talked about briefly and encounter at Um, Farpoint. So I understand using a familiar term with them, especially when you're, you know, getting a little tipsy. Mm-hmm. but yeah, he's not a bill. No, he's, he's definitely not. He's a just bill. not a bill and, and he shouldn't be, and she shouldn't have done that. And will works. Mm-hmm. B- bill does not work.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought it was a weird choice that in this episode, you know, in the original, obviously is the, the fight to discover the remedy for what is going on. Mm-hmm. A- and in this, we do away with that pretty early. So we say like, yeah, this happened to the original enterprise and that one doesn't work. Um, And we spend a few minutes on that. But then by the time we get to the end of it and Beverly is struggling with the new one, it it really just seems like just out of nowhere, like, yep, I came up with a different one. So here you go. Um, It it just seemed like a really, really quick uh, uh, solution for this problem. It it was a little maybe it's just part of the pacing of the episode. That, uh, that I felt like didn't quite work. Like, they're just realizing that they're running up against the end of the show and they had to squeeze in a solution somehow, somewhere.
1: Well, yes, but, I mean, aren't medical discoveries on Star Trek always going to be that way?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I not. mean, they're this not,
1: would... not going to actually show you, you know, how they put that together because yeah. it's not a real thing. So, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. pretty much, I mean, like, there were episodes of the original series where, you know, for three acts, McCoy is standing sweating over a microscope. Right. <laughs> right. You got anything bones? No. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll be back after the next commercial break then. And come back in too. Cause I still won't have anything next act. We all know this. Right. Right. Right.
0: Well, there was something about the timing and, and the way that this one was played that, that stood out to me as being a little, you know, a little different from the way that those moments happened back in the day with the sweaty McCoy looking into his toaster. Um, Wesley, uh, save the ship, and uh, yeah, uh, I'll give him that one. Uh, just don't let it happen again. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and in um, the end of the episode, uh, I, I still oh man, there's something about uh, that line. Like, let's go to our next job as the end of a show. That kind of um, I, I think in in writing terms doesn't work for me. I would have I would have been almost okay ending it with. Uh, Picard saying, I think we have a fine crew. Okay, cool. Then, then I know you're coming back next week and, and I know that we've gotten through this one, but I don't need you to tell me that you're going on to your next job. It feels like you're just punching in at the, you know, the time card at that point.
1: It really is just, it really is over explaining at that point. You're right. It it seems unlikely that next week's episode is going to begin captain's Zog. we've been sitting exactly where we were for like a week now because <laughs> right, right do we have another job are we doing a thing what
0: yeah, yeah we we just sit here and wait
2: <laughs> you never forget the first time you get naked with a starship captain but can that magic be captured a second time
1: So, unless you want to talk about how this episode compares to The Naked time, there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot to discuss in The Naked now. Uh, to me. Um, I will say, I found uh, Dr. Crusher's I'm a Woman, when she's hmm. coming on to Picard, kind of uncomfortable. But only because it's just so dumb. Now we get to know later that she is a much more well rounded character than that, and we can explain the whole thing away by her ridiculous level of intoxication um if If she had uttered anything like that line sober I would have had like a i would have had like a serious problem with it but there's mm-hmm. i mean there's just a lot in this episode that's that's anywhere from mildly to wildly uncomfortable because of its level of dumbness. And and that's that's right up there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I agree. I've I've got really nothing to add to that, other than to say that I agree that um, in an episode full of kind of half baked ideas, and you know they've had twenty years to bake this idea. Yeah, uh, it it seems like a a very odd and very poor choice.
1: Well, is there Uh, is there. Well, we can get into that part in a moment, but I mean, was there like a was there a need, was there a rush, Mister Trivia, to have a number of scripts on the table very quickly? I mean, is it possible that this was just like, uh, how many do we have? How many do we need? Mm-hmm. Right, right? Can right. you polish one up? Because I mean, this I mean, this really did feel like that. It, well, mm-hmm. uh, there's yeah. another part that probably should go on the wrap up, but I will go ahead and say it. The one thing about this is it does. It definitely, I mean, it staples down that this Enterprise and the last Enterprise were in the same galaxy, that they were in the same timeline, that they were in the same, you know. Oh, sure. That they inhabit the same world. The fact that we're referencing James T. Kirk, you know, for people who missed encounter at Farpoint, who didn't see bones wandering around, I mean, this does, this does a callback. It's something that in remakes can often be uncomfortable and if it keeps happening like like every episode if every episode they're like oh this is like that time mr spock the famous mr spock who also used to be on star trek just like we are (laughs) i mean if that if that if that kind of thing happens then it gets really old really quickly but i mean it, it does sort of put a tack in to say oh yeah you know same same kinds of things it's different but you know we're still your guys so
0: yeah yeah well and, and by the way just go back to uh to what you mentioned there was a writer's strike in 1986 hmm. um but even then uh this idea had been germinating at least long enough and remember you're dealing with the original people in these cases from the original show
1: yeah and
0: you know, even then, maybe especially then, you have to say, well, but if they've already done this, why would they want to do it again and do it again so soon and so closely? Well,
1: I've so, got a reason, but that's for the next segment.
0: OK, good enough. um Speaking of uh, characters here and uh, and the people here, particularly the women here, can we talk talk about uh, Yar's big reveal? Yeah, um, her background and avoiding the rape gangs, abandoned Um, abandoned when
1: she was five.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we we learned pieces of this in Farpoint uh, and that she was uh, basically rescued by the Federation or by Starfleet, I should say, and we should get down on our knees and thank them. Um, And boy, this just raised so many more questions for me than it answered. Where was this place and did the Federation go in and save everyone? Did Starfleet go in and save everyone? Was it beyond saving? What in the hell was going on there? This is really troublesome stuff. This is really incredibly dark about that future
1: See, so what's interesting to me is you say that uh, the of Fedor- starfleet saved her i did not get the sense that there was an extraction team and that starfleet came in and actually picked her up i sort of got the starfleet saved her in the way that the salvation army saves people or in the way that the church saves people or in the way that the army turns troubled youth around and in, in, in the opinions of some people i didn't get the sense that somebody went in and actually pulled her out and saved her i thought it was more like an inspirational speech like you know I was in this, you know, total horrible situation because my planet's a total horrible place. But then I found Starfleet and Starfleet, quote, saved me. Right. And I,
0: I, yeah, I I get that. And I think that's totally valid no matter which way we look at it, because, yeah, yeah, that that's absolutely uh, a a reasonable thing to say about her character. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that. Okay, in this day and age, and 21st century <laughs> United States, right. even as bad as some places are, somebody can walk down to a recruitment office and sign up for, you know, for military service and and have some options like that. This sounds like an utter hellhole of a planet, and from her description, it sounds like the entire place is like that. And I'm picturing. Okay, if there is one little Starfleet recruitment office <laughs> way out in the middle of nowhere on this planet, surrounded constantly by armed guards because, for God's sake, can there are rape gangs everywhere, apparently. Yes. And this sounds awful. This sounds like even if she wanted that, even if she somehow got the knowledge that there is this thing called Starfleet that you can join and take you away from this hellhole planet where you live. hmm what even is the opportunity to go do that? Yeah. And and at such a young age, and I, wow, it just the, the whole thing kind of blew my mind. I remember pieces of her background story from originally watching Next Gen, but for some reason, this really stuck out to me again in this episode because it is such a dark place that we talk about, and I, I guess you and I, for the last couple of years, we've been talking about what are the, the pieces of this future that the Federation and that Starfleet helps to build. Mm-hmm. And here I am now picturing this awful, awful place where a child has such a miserable existence. Um, it seems like uh, from a, a humanitarian end, uh, that has got to be first and foremost the place that Starfleet goes in to save. Um, and maybe it is truly, truly saving it in the sense that that I originally discussed as opposed to just her, like, finding out, oh, there's a recruitment office down
1: the road. You should go check them out. Where is where is the prime directive in your argument?
0: Uh well, yeah. So so if if we go to a planet where children are being abused constantly, the prime director <laughs> says we can't go in and
1: I don't know. Stop I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're you're making an interesting case for ignoring the prime directive. I yeah. mean and certainly that's something that uh, that um, that Kirk would have done. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but you know, it's eighty years later, and and maybe we're a much more enlightened society now that will let other societies grind themselves into the rocks. I uh, don't know. I mean, that's a weird. Yeah, yeah. I it's it's interesting that you. I mean, that you're wondering about that at this point because it honestly didn't cross my mind. What I was concentrating on was you know how exceptional it sort of makes her character that she not only got away from that not I mean survived first of all like learning how to avoid them mm-hmm, but but mm-hmm. then also just you know mentally survived the whole thing and ended up not only getting off the planet but getting into starfleet not only getting into starfleet but becoming a fairly high level executive on one of the premier ships and and we're sort of assuming that it's a premier ship we actually haven't heard anybody say that yet right but, but you know, based on the fact that the first Enterprise was a premier ship and that we're following this one around, I think the viewer kind of assumes that this is one of the <laughs> best ships right. in the fleet. Right. Although it does have a brand new captain with a brand new crew and it's a brand new ship. So who knows? This could be like that. This could be the B arc for all that we know. There you go. Um, I mean, the, the questions that you raise about her homeworld are interesting. I think I was more, you know, concentrating on on what it said about her character herself. And I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, how that plays out over the course of however many seasons she's around. <laughs> um, I will say there was one thing that amused me in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an interesting dissection of the chain of command between Picard and Crusher.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah young
1: Wesley yeah. Crusher. Excuse me. Not not Dr. Crusher. Yeah. Where, uh, where Picard says, this is my ship and I got stuff to do. And he's like, yeah, you know, funny thing. It may be your <laughs> ship, but you don't actually do um, anything. <laughs> you, you you tell people what to do, and yeah. and they do what you say. So here's a fun idea: why don't you tell me what to tell people what to do, and we'll do that. Got it's got a point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's we we <laughs> yeah. talked a few times in the original series about how tenuous the chain of command is, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, Picard goes ahead and continues. Actually, he doesn't get to continue arguing with Wesley because Wesley weasels out of him what it is he wants to do, and then Wes is like, "I'm on it." I mean, because it, it, I, I would think that if they're going to continue having that argument, that, you know, what Crusher could say is, well, you actually tell people what to do, and then they do it, so you don't really do anything. I could see Picard going, <clears throat> shh, mm-mm, mm-mm. That, 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 that's, that's not what happens. I'm Captain. Captain is very, important. Cap, everybody, Captain is very important. Don't, yeah, listen, right. don't listen to the kid. He's drunk.
0: Yeah. Speaking of drunk, as the people in this episode kind of uh behave that way the the whole thing i thought kind of made me sad about this future it, at least in this very brief you know two episode stint that we've had of star trek the next generation yeah because they don't know what a wild party is they they, they don't seemingly know when to turn off business mode and go into relaxed even even business casual
1: mode can um I don't know. Did you see, did you see all the clothes that Troy has?
0: She's got a ton of clothes.
1: Yeah. All hidden
0: away in the closet. (laughs) And apparently
1: they're all super sexy when she's off duty, according to Tasha Yar. Yeah. So I mean, they they may actually know. It's just, you know, we haven't seen that yet. Yeah.
0: It it just seems, I I realize that everybody has the mask that they wear when they're at work. And then the one that you wear when you're with family or friends. And then the one that you wear when you're at that wild party. Mm -hmm. Um, But and maybe it's just because this crew is entirely new and there's a certain formality that they have. But the formality is really high to show the contrast of what happens when they totally lose their minds. Um, This was not a worry, by the way, in the 23rd century, because we know that James T. Kirk really tore it up at the science department Christmas party.
1: Well, except you remember how uncomfortable he was afterwards. This actually was a worry.
0: Yeah, a- a- after the fact, yeah. But, right. but he was there, and <laughs> you know, he was there of his own volition. Yeah. And, uh, and like, this was an expected thing. So I, I feel like this, man, it-, it just seems so so stiff. I- you-, you think about this idea that people say, well, uh, maybe we have had a bit too much to drink. Either you are not acting like yourself or, or you're acting exactly like yourself, but you're an uninhibited version of yourself. In vino veritas. Right. And it made me think, wow, this crew, what we know of them so far, they are so incredibly businesslike and repressed and, and very stiff that maybe they need this. Maybe they need this more often.
1: Well, I mean, one does get the impression that I mean one of the problems with shows like this is you never know exactly how much time has passed from one episode to another, right unless you figure mm-hmm. out the star date, which I'm no good at, so mm-hmm. we do still get the sense in this episode that they are still a new crew from Picard's last line, right his whole oh sure oh yeah, sure, as long as yeah. long as we stop getting drunk, <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. we may actually have something here. I will say what they should think about is uh maybe like some kind of bar for this ship if, oh, if they could maybe huh. open one of those that, that might solve a lot of problems
0: maybe it would
2: we have all gotten drunk some of us have frozen to death some of us have showered in our clothing and some of us have done it the real question now what have we learned
0: Oh, I hope I didn't give it away earlier, <laughs> but, but uh, now, for, for now in our show, we get to talk about whether the episode holds up and, and if it really has any meaning beyond uh, be, beyond just sort of the surface of what we're given on screen here. So, Ken, I'll, I'll ask you if uh, The Naked Now holds up as an episode.
1: Um, does The Naked Now hold up as an episode? No, but it is an important episode. Which Mm. may sound weird, but um, what this episode does is it gives us... I mean, you actually said earlier that it's just a shorthand way to learn more about the characters. And here's the thing. We learn a lot more about the characters in this episode. The stuff between Riker and Troy, which was alluded to in the first episode, is not finished. Um, There is something between Picard and Crusher, and it doesn't just have to do with her dead husband. And and that's not finished. Um, As you mentioned, we learn more about Yar's incredibly difficult past. And, um, yeah... Uh, we um, we learned a bit about Data. You talked about his human reactions earlier. I actually love the sideways glance that Data gives Picard when he tells Crusher that he's got the cure. And she says, are you sure this will work, Captain? And he says, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Data gives him a sideways look. And you know that that has got to, like, sit weird with the super advanced android, right? I mean, right, to, to say right. anything is absolute, that you don't know for certain is absolute but he doesn't make a big deal of it it's not like the other times like why would you look for a needle in a haystack or anything like that it's just the captain says oh this will absolutely work and there's just a look on data's face like eh, i'm not so sure
0: well there's moments like that that i thought were were really interesting because as far as we know data does not have emotions mm-hmm. but so then that is a programmed reaction but mm-hmm. it's a programmed reaction to something that data processes as probably completely inaccurate <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> you know? okay but here's the thing we don't know enough about data yet to know whether that's a programmed reaction by someone else or if that's just his own programming evolving i mean again he's mm-hmm. trying to teach himself to whistle in yeah. a counter at firepoint. my assumption is he was not programmed to always be trying to teach himself how to whistle but never actually achieve it i mean this is a character that is learning
2: or mm-hmm. is trying
1: to mm-hmm. learn anyway or at least is presenting the image of trying to learn And I would imagine at some point we're going to get back into the whole discussion of the difference between, you know, somebody thinking and somebody thinking they're thinking. And is there a difference uh, Mm -hmm. between those two things and then a robot, you know, making us think that it's thinking it's thinking. But we got plenty of time to get to that. (laughs) Um, We learn a lot about Wesley in this episode. He really is a whiz kid. He acts he has acted or written like adult sometimes, but he can see complex problems in his head and solve them in his head. Uh, stuff that uh, chief engineer what's her name says would take weeks to do i mean she Mm -hmm. says that would it would take weeks to reprogram all that and he's like no just see it in your head and he sits down and does it uh still drunk by the way um we do learn again i mean not only is there the whole thing about data sort of looking askance at, at picard but we do learn that data is more human than we had first realized i mean witness the fact that he is able to get drunk along with the rest of them yeah without even trying to in all those ways this episode actually is important Um, it's also bad. I mean, it's just, I mean, this, this really, this episode could have worked, I think five or six episodes in because then we've gotten to know the characters. We've gotten to know how stodgy Picard can be. We've gotten to know how, you know, how stiff Riker can be. We've gotten to see how, you know, Yar is, 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 is crazy rigid. I mean, we would get to see everybody sort of let down their guard after a little while. Which is more interesting once you've gotten to know the characters a tiny bit, than it is like the second episode. The second episode, I mean, you might have actually been afraid that they're going to do stupid stuff like this all the way through. I mean, it just it seems like a bad placement. Now yeah. that said, it's not like there aren't good things in it. Picard's attempt to reason with Wesley is funny, especially given <laughs> his stated discomfort with children. <laughs> yes. Wesley, Wes, it, it really <laughs> it really is nice, and there's a little, there's a little, you know, change in his face. Some of his drunk acting is too over the top. Some of his drunk acting is really neat. All of it would have been better uh, a year in or even six months in than it is right in this episode.
0: Do you think this episode would work better for people who had never seen Star Trek, the original series? I mean, I think that is probably pretty clear.
1: Eh, I mean, it would have been. I mean, you wouldn't have been sitting there going, "Oh, it was much better the last time they did it," or you wouldn't be sitting there thinking, "Oh, well, I've seen this; it's all been done," uh, yeah. you know, before. Um, but I still think it would work better later, later in.
0: Yeah, because yeah. we don't we don't have
1: time to know whether this is weird yet. We don't have time to know whether this is how Picard would act or how you know Geordie would act or, or anything. We don't have time to know these characters to then see how interesting it is to see them when they're drunk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much where I'm on the same page with you here. This episode does not hold up um, and certainly not as the second episode of The Next Generation. You know, it's really unfortunate that somebody on the staff didn't just say, hey, this feels a little more like a copy than an homage and yeah. maybe we could rewrite it uh, maybe we could hand it to somebody who is not too steeped in star trek and just say here go go watch the original and now read this script and change it and yeah. just make it different enough and and maybe it would have been more satisfying for that um i agree with you character stuff is great patrick stewart is wonderful throughout um, because he, his drunk is a better playing drunk than the other people who are playing drunk. Most actors are terrible at acting drunk unless you are, you know, Dudley Moore or Peter O'Toole or Dean or, Martin. Or,
1: or me at the beginning of this episode.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that that was really. Uh, you'll probably be nominated uh, for something. I'm for like
1: that. I'm like Dino too over here.
0: Yes, <laughs> right. Um, but most actors are terrible at it, and then if you don't have a director who really knows how to rein that in, it just gets out of hand. And I felt like a lot of this was really watching the actors act in quotes and in big letters instead of just being those characters and. Maybe, again, being that early on, we just didn't have enough time with those characters and the actors didn't have enough time with the characters to make it work and uh, and really be truthful. In addition to Picard, I thought his stuff with Crusher was a really good and really important reveal mm-hmm. about those characters because, it boy, does it really temper what we learned about Picard bringing home the dead body of uh of wesley's father yeah. um then you introduce this idea that there has been a little personal tension there a little uh, little sexual tension so yeah um i thought that was uh a really nuanced way to weave all of that together but yeah as an episode boy is it disappointing and boy i wish they had not done this um as their second episode and 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 even if they were going to do the new enterprise crew gets drunk and gets out of control they had just completely rewritten it yeah Um, because the way this played out it was too close way way too
1: close and sadly to me that's the message (laughs) Uh, really okay (laughs) so don't just rip off your own stuff i mean or if you do it at least figure out exactly when you're going to do it figure out how you're going to present it uh, maybe better. I honestly, I think this episode would have been better five or six in. It would have been more forgivable five or six in. It's just it's it's too soon.
0: Well, I, I feel like it's always going to be too soon when it's written exactly like the old one. I mean, it, it, it smacks of plagiarism at a certain point. And can you plagiarize your own work? Well, I don't know. Um, so. Yeah, the placement would have been better later in that first season, yeah. um, but I still feel like it has to have a complete top-to-bottom rewrite to make it something different enough, because no matter what, if you've seen that original episode, you've already seen this. Um, I do think there's a more bonk-bonk-on-the-head message or a you-see-Timmy moment, and that's Picard telling Wesley, you know, you see, alcohol is bad. When you drink too much and you get out of control, well, you, you can't run a starship very well, now
1: can you? Um, yeah, but that's just also- sort of like a PSA in the middle of it. I mean, this, yeah. this episode is not about the evils of alcohol because nobody intentionally, nobody even accidentally got drunk. They got sick.
0: Yeah, but, but, but getting— I
1: mean? they, weren't, they, they didn't go to a bar and then wake up, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning in the Philippines. Or, you know, <laughs> whatever the plot of The Hangover, The <laughs> would 2 been or really one of those or something. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. I mean, nobody nobody started doing something that was potentially dangerous. Like there was an episode of Little House on the Prairie where where um, uh, the, the adopted brother got hooked on morphine. That was obviously an anti-drug episode uh, for right. the time. Right. Written into uh, something uh, completely out of context. This isn't even that, because they didn't go to this planet and somebody was like, hey, try this. It's really good. You know, I mean, (laughs) this was just sort of like, hey, you're at work and now you're drunk and you didn't do anything. But you're right. right, In the middle of it, there was the message from Picard. Like, remember, boys and girls, drinking is bad, even though you will, in fact, be able to save the day. (laughs) <laughs>
0: right. Well, no, but but we do. We do say that. I mean, it, this show is intended for an audience of adults, but it is also well aware that it has an audience of kids mm-hmm. and probably teenage kids. And Wesley is the stand in for those teenage kids. And you're saying, hey, look, look, at you see all these adults acting crazy. Don't be that adult who is acting crazy, uh, because we're telling you that the bad effects of this thing that we did not intend to get is the same as the bad effects of having too much alcohol. So I, I do think it's it's pretty clear that it's there. Also, also the message that it is uh, it is bad to express your uh, personal emotions or desires.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. And that yeah. one, I'm, that one, I'm down with. Okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Please, It's whatever it is. If you if you like somebody, if you if you have deeply seated, deeply burning passions, please
1: stuff it down in a ball
0: just do not ever express that
1: stuff it down in a ball and one day it will it will it will uh, blow forth from you like so much stellar matter
0: <laughs> right right yeah and uh and you know hey picard tells us all we have to do is avoid temptation and then we'll be a better crew does the message
1: hold up ken I honestly think there's no message here, so... Okay. (laughs) Sure, I guess, or no. I mean, does the absence of something (laughs) hold up in some way? I mean, honestly, I... It really was about exposition to me. I, I understand what you're saying about, yes, he makes the don't drink speech to Wesley, but that's sort of like, you know, the 30 seconds at the end of a, of an episode of G.I. Joe. The whole show mm-hmm. isn't about that. There's just 30 seconds tacked on at the end so they can call it educational television. There, there wasn't, I don't feel like this, this show was built around a message. I feel like this show was built around exposition. And so I would say there's, there's no message to hold up. Mm. Unless you want to count the 30 second PSA, but, you know, PSAs are usually right. But it's not like it's not like episodes that we did of the original series or even the animated series where the whole thing was, you know, was pieces and parts of one bigger message at the end. Right. 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 Well, except to hide your emotions and your, well, yeah, that, but I I think that's, I think that's a given. I think that's, I think everybody knows that. So I'm not even going to, I'm going to dignify that one. I mean, because to to say anything about it would be to reveal feelings for it. And, and, you know, I've learned my lesson. well.
0: Don't do that. All right. (laughs) Okay. Next week, we will be back with more Star Trek, the next generation. It's episode three code of honor.
2: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. How can Data say he's fully functional? Seriously? He can't even whistle. And Transmission.